CBS News. Fever is the number one COVID symptom, so be safe with an accurate thermometer. Only Exergen has proven accurate in more than 100 studies. Learn more at exergen.com. Hundreds of thousands of people have said goodbye to their overpriced Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile plans and switched to Pure Talk on the same great 5G coverage as one of those carriers. Get unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month. The average family is saving over $800 a year. Just dial pound 250 and say Jill 50 to save 50% off your first month. That's pound 250. Say Jill 50. Twas the season of cheer and joy filled the town, except for Scrooge with his perma frown. The gift of a Peloton bike touched his soul without doubt. Peloton. When your workout's a joy, it's a joy to work out. You can do it. The original Peloton bike is our best price ever, $39 a month. All access membership separate. Terms apply. See website for details. Here's another shot at owning your own Banksy painting, but it won't come cheap. Correspondent Monica Ricks has the story. Fashion designer Sir Paul Smith is selling a Banksy painting at auction today in New York called Sunflowers from Petrol Station. The 2005 painting features a pot with withering sunflowers that have lost their petals. It was inspired by Van Gogh. The artwork was displayed in L.A. and overseas in Hong Kong ahead of its sale. It's expected now to collect anywhere from 12 to 18 million dollars. Northern Ireland's health minister is suing a native son over his comments about COVID. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance. With a defamation suit cites Belfast-born Van Morrison for calling Robin Swan a fraud and very dangerous over pandemic lockdowns and show cancellations. Morrison's written several songs critical of those restrictions. Deborah Rodriguez, CBS News. Whether you're vaccinated or not, it's important to know the symptoms of COVID and its variants. Fever is the leading sign of COVID and the flu, so make sure you use an accurate thermometer. Only the Exergen Temporal Scanner Thermometer has been proven accurate with more than 100 clinical studies. Non-contact thermometers have no clinical evidence behind them, and you cannot rely on them. Be vigilant and seek medical advice at the first sign of fever. Learn more at exergen.com. If you owe the IRS $10,000 or more, get ready to take down an important telephone number. The new administration plans to boost IRS revenue by cracking down on unpaid back taxes. They could come after you. Let the team of tax professionals at Superior Tax Relief help. Call 800-299-2201. The consultation is free. The information is free. The only thing you have to lose is overwhelming debt. Call 800-299-2201. That's 800-299-2201. Start your mornings with Scott Daly from 6 to 12. Hop on the party line from 9 to 10. Join Sky Hope on Classic Caravan from 4 to 6 p.m. And listen into the sports fan at 6.06 on Classic Hits 970 and 97.1 FM WATH. Fairhope celebrates life. If you're facing an end-of-life situation, Fairhope Hospice and Palliative Care. It is never too soon to call. Fairhope is here to listen. You don't have to face it alone. Fairhope cares for your loved one where they live. Or, during times of stress, the Pickering House is a serene setting providing relief for the patient. To learn more about Fairhope's Care from the Heart, please call 1-800-994-7077. Fairhope Hospice, we celebrate life. Open enrollment for healthcare.gov is here. If you're uninsured or have a job that doesn't offer insurance, check out healthcare.gov. Due to a new law, prices are lower and more people qualify. Now, four out of five customers pay just $10 a month or less with financial help. It's easier than ever to find the right plan for you. And millions of Americans, just like you, have already enrolled. New law, lower prices, more people qualify. Sign up at healthcare.gov by December 15th. Daily reports of the stock market's close. Tune in at 5.30 tonight on WATH to stay informed about your money. The stock market report is brought to you by Goldsberry Wealth Strategies, serving Athens County since 2005. The Goldsberry Wealth Strategies stock market report airs exclusively in Athens County on 970 WATH weekdays at 5.30 immediately after our local newscast. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services are offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Advisors, Inc., Goldsberry Wealth Strategies, is not a registered broker-dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services.
Where do you go when you need home or auto insurance? Matthews Insurance at 240 Columbus Road is a friendly, reliable, locally owned insurance agency celebrating our 75th year in business in the Athens community. We have partnered with outstanding companies like Ohio Mutual Insurance to provide you with great coverages and rates. Give us a call at 740-593-5573 or Google us, Matthews Insurance. Friendly, reliable, local. Here at A Work of Heart, we know winter is coming as you decorate your home for fall and Thanksgiving. We are getting ready for Christmas. We have scores of pieces of beautiful new art, many designed by our local artist, Dee Jones. Pumpkins, scarecrows, snowmen, gingerbread men, winter gnomes, horses, goats, cows, sheep, pigs, roosters, and so much more, many with inspiring sayings. We also have hundreds of gift ideas that can be personalized on our laser engravers. They make great gifts for all occasions and any season. Usually, you can take the personalized gifts home the same day. As we head towards Christmas, we have the best selection of snowmen in the Mid-Ohio Valley. Many of our snowmen have signs that can be personalized with names to make unique gifts that will be treasured for years. That is a work of heart, Grand Central Mall. Come see us today, now open 10 to 9 in Grand Central Mall, or find us online at aworkofheart.biz. Open enrollment for healthcare.gov is here. If you're uninsured or have a job that doesn't offer insurance, check out healthcare.gov. Due to a new law, prices are lower and more people qualify. Now, four out of five customers pay just $10 a month or less with financial help. It's easier than ever to find the right plan for you. And millions of Americans, just like you, have already enrolled. New law, lower prices, more people qualify. Sign up at healthcare.gov by December 15th. In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. W-A-T-H-F-N's. I think of that, 72 years now. 41 degrees right now here on Columbus Road. Gorgeous sunshine. And a guest, Dr. James Gaskell, joins us this morning. Can you bet what we're going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about a number of things, but of course... COVID. It's the party line on 970 WATH. Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, good morning, Dick. Good morning. Good morning, Dave. Folks, uh, Dr. James Gaskell, who uh, his friends, is known as Dick. Dick Gaskell. And Dick, you know, I, I've I've forgotten some things about your background. So, um, you know, you've been on the show a couple of times over the years. Where were you born? Elwood City, Pennsylvania. El- Elwood City. Elwood City, steel mill town. Now, put that in relationship to some major city. Pittsburgh. Okay. About a forty-five minute drive from Pittsburgh. It's part of the Beaver Valley. Beaver Falls is nearby. Ugh. Newcastle, uh, Ambridge, Beaver, um, Steel Mill Corridor. Lots of those towns, Aliquippa, they all had steel mills. Of course, that industry is gone now. And your your parents uh, were you and did you have siblings and and what were your parents' backgrounds? Uh, My mother was one of eight children. Her father was a farmer who uh, raised dairy cattle and eventually. developed a pasteurizing uh, business uh-huh. and delivered uh, milk and glass bottles to the homes. I worked for him starting when I was 12 years old until I was about 22 and went off to medical school. I worked in the summers when uh, his men took vacation. Uh-huh. And we uh, started about 4 o'clock in the morning, delivered glass bottles to homes, and then we went to the stores. And yeah. The other people in the plant pasteurized the milk and homogenized the milk in those days. He. He had raised uh, Guernsey uh, cattle, uh, milk uh, cows uh, for a number of years and then got into bottling business, and I think that was more profitable. He educated uh, eight children, sent them all to college. Uh, wow. Yeah, he was a remarkable man. 
he only had a sixth grade education. He had had to, his father died young and he had two brothers and so he went to work as a blacksmith to support the family when he was uh, 16 and, and uh, didn't even finish high school but he was uh, remarkably uh, uh, determined. Uh, Clearly a good business mind too. Yes. Mm-hmm. I admired my grandfather greatly. Yeah. Well, um, your mother. My mother was a school teacher. Uh, she started college. In those days, you could skip some classes, some grades in high school if, if you were capable. And so she started college at 16, graduated from Geneva College at 20, and was teaching in high school by the, at age 20. Now, did Geneva College still exist? Yeah, Geneva College still exists. It's uh, one of those I've small of colleges like Westminster. Okay. Uh, uh, I went to a little school in Pennsylvania called Juniata College. Uh, Nobody's heard of Juniata around here. No, no. Uh, it's a central Pennsylvania school uh, south of State College, uh, where Penn State's located. Now, how many years did you have there? I was there for three years okay. and then went off to Pitt Medical School and then was in the military for a couple of years. I was drafted during the Vietnam War. Luckily, I didn't, have to, was go. I. Yeah. I didn't have to go to Vietnam. I had a, oh, a nice duty assignment in San Francisco. They they trained me as a flight surgeon, and so I went to San Francisco and did flight physicals uh, on the West Coast. Uh, huh. uh, San Francisco was... Uh, so, uh, let's see here. I'm Pres- trying to think of what air station that might have been. Presid- Presidio. I okay. Was at the Presidio, okay. and we had a little small uh, base called Chrissy Field right at the end of the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. It was a little dangerous to get out of Chrissy Field. You headed toward the Golden Gate Bridge, and you either went under it, and the mayor didn't wasn't very happy to have you do that. Of course. So we had to turn right, uh, s- rather uh, steeply, to avoid hitting the bridge. So it was a little dangerous field. They closed that field, oh, a few years after I left. That probably shouldn't have been there to begin with. It was a little right. dangerous getting into right. and getting out of. But we had fixed wing aircraft and some helicopters, and so we didn't think it was so bad. But I think. Looking back, it was a little dangerous. So let's see here. Uh, three years at um, uh, undergrad, and then you transferred to a medical school. And where was that again? University of Pittsburgh. Okay. And then I had— And, then, and how many years is I, that? Uh, th- that was four. Four. And then I had a, a year of internship at University of West Virginia in Morgantown. Oh, yeah. Then at the end of that, I was drafted for two years— then I went back to Morgantown for my pediatric residency. It was three years. And now, well, okay, so uh, pedia- pediatrics, folks, that's, you know, childbirth and um, the, the months leading up to it and all of that. Um, did I say that well? You did. Okay. Perfect. Um, wh- wh- why, why did you zero in on that one? Well, during my internship, I had a what's known as a rotating internship. I did a little obstetrics, a little surgery, worked in the emergency room for a while, did a little internal medicine, and then I did pediatrics. And what I liked about the children was that they uh, unfortunately got very sick very quickly, but they also, uh, if you did the right things, got better just as quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it was a bit of a, an adrenaline rush. Uh, uh, you'd see them uh, in a uh, uh, very uh, dangerous situation, and uh, if you did the right things, they got better. Uh, internal medicine, maybe not as much. I mean, we were dealing with more chronic disease. Uh, there are certainly things that you could do to make people better, but you were unlikely to completely cure them. Often, you were going to make their situation better, but not cure them. The children you could cure their disease most of the time because in those days we were dealing with a lot of infectious disease Mm -hmm. for which we had antibiotics uh, and various other modalities. So I I like that adrenaline rush. It's sort of like working in the emergency room and I always like working in the emergency room because people will come in very ill and and, uh, you could do things to improve their situation often rapidly. Right. Well, uh, you know, oh, I don't know how many years ago, when I was involved with Athens High School as a coach, soccer, um, I was out there for all the athletic events. And Doc Croner, John Croner, used to walk the sidelines and help the team a lot. I think he was actually the team doc. Um, anyway, one day I said to him, how many babies? And without hesitation, he said, 
some astronomically large number. I'm going to say it was 5,432 babies. <laughs> so now when I say to Jim Gaskell or Dick Gaskell, how many babies? Do you know? <laughs> no, I don't know. But I certainly uh, worked with uh, Dr. Croner for many years. Yes. And uh, he and I uh, attended many cesarean sections in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if he says that he delivered what ten thousand babies? No, 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 no. I I don't remember the yeah. number, but mm-hmm. it was it was it seemed huge. Yeah, it, it could have been that many babies. I uh, I, I don't think it was ten thousand. I, th- but it was thousands. Well, uh, they deliver as an average. Yeah. At Oblenis Memorial Hospital, about 700 babies a year. Okay. And for a long time, Kroner was responsible for maybe two-thirds of them. Yeah. So it's not hard to imagine that he certainly was into the thousands, maybe 8,000. I, I think uh, my wife used to keep track of the number of people I saw in the office daily, and uh, th- that gave me some idea of maybe how many patients I had. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that all probably over a 35-year period, oh, there were maybe 10,000 or 15,000 families that I took care of Wow! at one time or another. Well, so after 35 years of doing that, um, you decided to retire, right? Yes, for the first time. I, I have retired a couple times, I guess. I, 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 I retired and uh, was given an opportunity to teach it to uh, medical school at the osteopathic medical school at the College of Osteopathic Medicine, and so I did that for five years. A- and I had been the health commissioner oh, for several years before I retired from pediatrics, so I just continued mm-hmm. in that job, which was a part-time job. Prior to the pandemic, it was <laughs> a part-time job. Uh, a- and I, I taught, and then uh, Rick Castro up at the hospital asked me to be the medical uh, advisor for the family practice uh, organization he had, so I did that for eh, probably four years. Eventually, I quit doing, uh, I quit teaching after five years, and eventually I uh, gave up the the job uh, as a medical director of the Health First, they called it. I wasn't very good at that job, I don't think. I didn't manage physicians very well. I had been a solo practitioner uh, most of my practicing life, although I had a couple sure. associates uh, for maybe three or four years. These were individuals who had come to town. One of them came to town with her husband, who was a history professor, uh, Mary Hope Griffin, who was a wonderful pediatrician. I think we were together about five years, and then he moved to Notre Dame to teach history, and of course she went along, so I was happy to have her for a few years, but then I, I was then a solo practitioner again. Luckily, uh, when the medical school opened, it took a few years, but we developed a relationship uh, between the pediatricians there and my solo practice, and we traded calls, so that helped me with call. But for many years, I was uh, I was on call at night uh, well, know, by myself. You may have mentioned a year, but I it, it didn't register with me. How long have you been the health commissioner? Uh, 22 years. 22 years. Mm-hmm. That's remarkable. And um, have you ever had anything as weird as what we're going through now? Not close. Not close. And I'm what I'm referring to, folks, of course, is this whole COVID thing. Let's talk about that a bit. Well, no, no. I want to talk about one more thing. You have a very nice wife, Barb. <laughs> how how did you come to meet her? Oh, Barbara was the head nurse uh, on the uh, mid-surge floor. Uh, I was divorced and uh, ran into Barbara, and, uh, well, of course, she was the head nurse, so I had to deal with her because I had pediatric patients, and I started dealing with her, you know, pretty much on a daily basis, and she was smart, capable, uh, wonderful woman. Where where are her roots? Cincinnati. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so uh, the Pirates, uh, we have a little rivalry. The (laughs) Pirates in Cincinnati have a little rivalry. I can imagine. Uh, And and there's a little rivalry, rivalry, developing rivalry between Cincinnati Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I must tell you, uh, I'm a a longtime Steeler fan, but I root for the Bengals 
uh, because of Joe Burrow. Of course. That we we know very well. My wife's really into it now. <laughs> yeah, everybody follows yeah. Joe Burrows and the Bengals. Uh, everybody in Athens does. And, so. um, you know, but the uh, his parents used to sit behind us at football at, uh, at the OU games. And uh, they just really, well, his, of course, his dad, well, never mind. Anyway, we'll move on. So Barr's from Cincinnati. And um, 22 years with the health department now, as did the commissioner. Let's, um, let's move right into it. COVID, COVID, COVID. Okay. Now, um, there are many vaccines. I remember as a young maybe i don't know if i was in elementary school or junior high or what but there was a sunday and we all went down to we were all back in those days you dressed up for church so we'd gone to church and then the family went down to the gymnasium at worthington high school and there were hundreds and hundreds of people there and we got our um, polio shot. You got your sock polio shot. And um, and it, 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 everybody did it. Now, regularly, uh, you get chicken pox, uh, diphtheria, flu, measles. These things each fall. Um, and and, it, and you so. You know, these are updates that they do each year. Why do you think there's suddenly, or maybe maybe even the same people that ob- are objecting to getting the COVID vaccine, vaccine are objecting to getting these other ones too? What is it, what's your general thought about that concept? Well, uh, early on... Uh during my career, uh, I was uh, I introduced lots of vaccines uh, to the children in the community, mm-hmm. and they were not all accepted immediately. It would take a few individuals who came in, and they'd say, "I'd say, now we want your child to get the measles vaccine. Uh, it's been uh, approved by the CDC and the FDA, and it's a wonderful vaccine, and kids." suffer greatly from measles. Uh, uh, one in a thousand kids who get measles uh, might die. They mm-hmm. get encephalitis and die from the encephalitis. And the uh, often the mothers were reluctant at first. And uh, there would be a few brave souls that would say, uh, do you really recommend it? And I'd say, I do. And they would get the vaccine. And it would take about mm, two to three months to introduce a new vaccine into the community. There's a mother's network in many small towns, and it was here in Athens also. So the brave mothers would get their kids vaccinated and then report to the other mothers that things had gone well, there were no side effects from the vaccine, and it seemed to be working and protecting them. And so there was often a little hesitancy, a little reluctance for a couple months uh, when we introduced a new vaccine. And that was true for many of the vaccines we introduced. It seems to be much different this time. Uh, I think it's in part because this has been somewhat politicized. Uh, By that I mean people have taken positions that um, maybe the CDC and the FDA really didn't know what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, there's been some reluctance. We like to call it vaccine hesitancy with this vaccine. Uh, I'm not sure of all the reasons because, indeed, when you look at the science, the science is very good. The vaccine's incredibly safe. The vaccines that we have available are incredibly safe for uh, the coronavirus. Uh, we have three vaccines. We have a uh, Moderna was the first one released, uh, and we uh, received our Moderna uh, just back in this year, January. That was followed by Pfizer and then followed by J&J. And all the vaccines are uh, very effective and uh, and very safe, and and so it is a little hard to understand the rationale for the firm reluctance on some people's far part to not get the vaccine. 
the science certainly supports it. And we can talk about side effects from vaccine. And there have been uh, a couple problems, a couple kerfuckles with the vaccines. And I must say, we have a system in place to report those adverse uh, problems mm -hmm. uh, when they occur. It's called the VIRS system. The what? VIRS, V-A-E-R-S. Okay. VIRS Adverse Event Reporting System. That's VIRS Adverse Event Reporting System. We have that available in the United States. If you have a, a serious side effect from your vaccine, or maybe not a serious side effect, the individual, the person, can report via the Internet to the VIRS system their complication of the vaccine. Or if it's something serious, a doctor often will know about it, or the public health department will know about it, or whoever gave you the vaccine you report to them and they'll report it. The CDC then tracks all those reports. Now, some of the reports are things like, well, my arm was sore for three days. Well, the CDC probably is not going to be real interested in that so long as you got better. Uh, they are interested in situations uh, that might um, uh, affect uh, whether you survive or not. For instance, the J&J &J vaccine was found to be associated with clotting increased clotting, primarily in young women, although the ages uh, involved were 90% of the individuals were women, age, uh, let's say, 16 to 49, but not very many people in their 40s, mostly very young women, uh, were reported clotting. Uh, pulmonary emboli, it means clot, those are clots in your lungs, abdominal clots in the veins of your abdomen, and most seriously, cerebral nervous system clots or brain clots and there were several deaths from the brain clots i have a uh, former daughter-in-law who was in charge of the j and j vaccine gwendolyn fisher wow and um but still you know it's done very well yes the the incidence of this they, they stopped delivering the vaccine to the public for about a week while the FDA reviewed the findings, and they found the incidence was 1 in 900,000 doses. Yeah. Pretty uncommon. Yeah. So they brought the vaccine online again, and uh, there haven't been very many reports. Uh, we always warn the young women that uh, they are the people who most likely have prob problems with the J&J &J vaccine, but J&J uh, has been given since then, and there haven't been very many reports of any, uh, any clotting problems, so it's very rare. Uh, but that's the kind of thing that does uh, get reported via the VIR system, and, and we have this uh, wonderful. And it also in place. strikes me, though, that if the patient can report it, what's to prevent someone who just doesn't believe in it from making false reports? Oh, indeed, that can happen. I'm sure that that happens sometimes. And but uh, you know, I, I was looking at this whole thing about vaccines and the opposition to it, and. You know, this isn't anything new. In fact, I've got a story here. It says, uh, refusing vaccines started back in the early 1800s. The smallpox vaccine. That's right. When it started being used in large numbers. And the idea of injecting some, someone with a part of a cowpox blister to protect them from smallpox faced a lot of criticism. And, and what? Why? So it, sanitary, religious, and political. Now we don't hear about the sanitary, but we still hear about religious and especially political objections. We do. Uh, what what uh, Fleming discovered was that milkmaids, uh, the women who milked the cows, got cowpox, which was uh, similar to smallpox, but it wasn't fatal. It resulted in some skin lesions, but they didn't die. Smallpox was more likely to be fatal. And he decided that maybe if he took normal people and took some of those cowpox vesicles or lesions and took some of the fluid from them mm -hmm. and scarified somebody and maybe put it on a needle or a knife and put it beneath their skin, maybe they would be resistant to smallpox because these infections were similar. Uh, and he might then protect them from smallpox, which was a scourge and killed many people in Europe. This was in, I think, Ireland. Mm -hmm. And he did it and found that uh, the, the individuals who were, if you will, vaccinated or scarified, they called it in those days, 
uh, who had received a, a little bit of this serum beneath their skin didn't get smallpox. Uh, and it was brilliant in a way. Uh, well, I have that uh, thing right here. Yes. On my arm. You no. have a, a little scar there. Mm -hmm. From the um, smallpox. Uh, right? Right. You I have got the right that. One. And yeah. we did that until 1974. We vaccinated every single child, uh, except for maybe children who had uh, bad eczema. Eczema is an uh, aller allergic skin yeah. lesion. And uh, those people, we were afraid to vaccinate the kids that had bad eczema because all those lesions were a little weepy and they could get additional smallpox lesions, which were, oh, might result in significant scarring. So the kids with bad eczema, we did not. Uh, give them a smallpox vaccination but everybody else got vaccinated and it was part of our ritual in our childhood but by 1974 there was no smallpox anywhere in the world so we discontinued smallpox vaccination uh, about that time so when i was i started practice in 1970 and so for about four years uh, i was uh, part of delivering smallpox vaccinations i i wasn't very fond of that because I worried about kids getting their hands on those lesions and infecting them because it resulted in a scab and a pustule and uh, some uh, purulent or uh, milky substance beneath the scab. And the kids could spread that. If they scratched it and they had ex eczematous lesions or other skin lesions, they could spread the smallpox uh, vaccinations to other sites and uh, get maybe a series of little smallpox vaccinations. And they all resulted in scarring, a superficial scar, not a real obvious scar, yeah, but certainly yeah. a scar. And you have one, Dave, and I do too. Yeah. <clears throat> and, but <clears throat> we, we discontinued smallpox vaccination, and there is no smallpox virus in the world except uh, a repository at the National Institutes of Health uh, in Washington, D.C., and Russia has some smallpox uh, material, I understand. They have some virus, so there are only two nations in the world that have it. Uh, have me, any smallpox. Let uh, me back up a notch. Um, you said you had military service. You did, did I hear you say you were drafted? Yes, I was. I, well, I was too. Um, when you went to basic training, um, you know, you stood in a line and they had these air injectors, <laughs> right? Right. And they, so that the, they would, with a puff of air, they would spit this uh, fluid and no needle, but the pressure of the fluid, the vaccine, and I have no idea what I got each time I was in those lines, but, you know, you did it. Um, you remember that? I remember it, yep. Very clearly. Fort Sam Houston. Yeah, Fort Knox for me. Yeah, uh, they didn't tell us what we were getting. Uh, we, we were curious, but we didn't have any say. Uh, we had to get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, okay, so let's, let's move it up a bit. Vaccine. COVID. Okay, so the first case of COVID worldwide, according to my dates, uh, November 19th of 2019. Um, that's pretty close to being correct. That certainly is really close. Now, um, so immediately, the medical, the, 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 the companies that do these sort of things got involved in trying to see what they could do to prevent it from getting out of control. And they came up with vaccines. Um, and it took a while for it to be tested and thoroughly th declared safe and so on. Um, how long did it take, roughly? Well, there, it, wa there was a coronavirus, novel coronavirus pandemic in 2002. Really? Yes, it was called SARS. Oh, yes. Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Started in China. Uh, it went from bats to civets. Civets were a little rabbit-like animal. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, uh, civets were a food source in China. And 
The bats are a repository for lots of viruses. The bats have a wonderful immune system. They don't die from these viruses, but they pass them on. And this novel coronavirus was passed the civets, and then in China there was an outbreak, and the mortality rate from this uh, respiratory illness, and it was a serious respiratory illness, was about 5%. So worldwide, it was great concern that this was going to spread. So in the United States, we started working on a vaccine because we were certain it would spread to the United States. We turned out to have maybe we had a, less than 1,000 cases, and it turned out to not be a pandemic. Uh, 25,000 cases worldwide. This coronavirus wasn't as highly contagious, certainly, as the ones we have now, as the coronavirus we have today. Uh, and so it died. But uh, the scientists began an effort to produce a vaccine because they were certain it was going to come to the United States. So that was the beginning of messenger RNA science. They started working on uh, this novel way of producing vaccinations. And so for years, they've been if you will, dabbling with the science, uh, the messenger RNA science to, um, to produce vaccines. It, and they, they worked on that with the uh, uh, influenza. They thought maybe they could get a messenger RNA influenza vaccine, uh, anthrax. Uh, they even considered you know, smallpox might, in case uh, somebody decided to use the smallpox virus as a bioterrorism uh, opportunity. It would be nice to have a vaccine in case lots of people were infected. Uh, Ebola, Ebola. Uh, yes. We had a few cases here. They were working on the uh, uh, messenger RNA uh, vaccine in case there were more cases of Ebola. So that it never came to fruition. They just dabbled with it for almost 20 years. And then this novel coronavirus came about. And the government funded the scientists and uh, they uh, moved forward rapidly, but the basic science was there. They just had to uh, put some more effort into developing a, a vaccine. So those people that you know suggest that this was all uh, done in uh, less than a year uh, are not exactly correct. Mm -hmm. The foundation was laid, and uh, they just had to clean up some of the science. It's uh, a wonderful, uh, a novel way to produce vaccines, and they can produce these vaccines pretty rapidly, these messenger RNA vaccines. They did it in, in less than a year, so, but, but the basic science was there. So it's been a long time coming, if you will. Now, there are three that we hear about, Pfizer, um, not Merck, but... Um, Moderna. Moderna mm -hmm. and J&J. Um, how do they differ? Well, they differ a little bit. Uh, there they are certainly different companies that produce them all. Yeah. The Moderna vaccine uh, has more antigen. Uh, it has... Uh, antigen being... Anti antigen being uh, viral particles, if you will. Okay. The, the, the substance that you're going to produce antibodies to. The Moderna vaccine has 100 micrograms of messenger RNA, which is, let's say, for these purposes, messenger RNA represents the antigen that you're going to produce antibodies to. Uh, Moderna has 100. Pfizer has 30 micrograms, much less, has a third. And Johnson & Johnson is developed with a different science. Johnson & Johnson vaccine is developed with uh, uh, older science uh, using uh, non-virulent uh, adenovirus. Adenoviruses are common in our community. Uh, they're common in the world. Some of them cause infection and respiratory illness, and some of them are benign. Well, if you choose a benign, not contagious uh, adenovirus, you can attach uh, the uh, coronavirus to it, or some of the coronavirus, the spicules of the coronavirus, the outside part of the coronavirus. You can attach it to the adenovirus and inject that, it's a, it's a vehicle for the uh, coronavirus to find its way to the immune system in humans, the adenoviruses, and so it attaches, goes along for the ride, and your immune system recognizes both the adenovirus and the coronavirus and develops antibodies against them both, and then, uh, if you will, destroys them. So uh, it, that's a different technology. That's the J&J &J technology. Do that's you have, uh, of the three that you mentioned, is there one that you personally 
prefer. No, I, I will say this about the J&J. &J. The J&J &J, uh, produces about 75% protection. This is to the original coronavirus. Let's call the original coronavirus the alpha coronavirus okay. as opposed to the more recent one, the delta. The delta is one that we have today. But the original one we'll call the alpha. The J&J &J vaccine produced about 75% protection against getting the disease, 100% protection against getting hospitalized or dying. So it was very good at preventing death and hospitalization. Not quite as good at preventing disease. On the other hand, both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine prevented disease 95% of the time. So really prevented you from getting that old alpha, uh, I call it old because we don't see much of that anymore, uh, alpha virus, uh, alpha coronavirus. So they were more effective altogether at preventing any infection. They also prevented death and prevented people from getting hospitalized. Now the purpose of the vaccines as they were developed was to prevent death and hospitalization. Uh, it was a really nice side effect if they had great protection against getting disease, but they were the hope was to prevent people from dying. So uh, the Pfizer and the Moderna, Moderna vaccine uh, exceeded our expectations and hopes for the, for the vaccination uh, against the coronavirus. But Johnson & Johnson is a very good vaccine. The nice thing about the J&J &J vaccine, it only requires uh, one injection to produce immunity. Now, what they've done more recently is suggest that you should get another one and you'll increase your uh, protection against the coronavirus, particularly the Delta coronavirus. So the J&J &J vaccine used to be a single vaccine. It still is a single vaccine. It produces really good protection, but now they're recommending that within two months of your original J&J &J that you get another one. Uh, the other vaccines require two shots. Uh, you get more protection. Moderna is one month in between the, the two injections and the Pfizer is uh, three weeks. So uh, Now I personally had the Pfizer in, on that schedule. Yeah. And then uh, in mid-September, as I recall, I could pull my card out, but uh, I got my booster. Now, th let's talk about that. So there's these vaccines, and they've been really worked over, and, and each of the companies is very proud of them. Now, why did a booster become necessary? Well, you know, if the science progresses, and one thing about this pandemic that is predictable, it's predictably unpredictable. <laughs> the science continues to evolve. Mm. And uh, the hope was that these vaccines would produce protection for at least a year or maybe longer. CDC discovered that antibody levels were waning. They were starting to decrease. And so uh, with an abundance of caution, uh, the concern was that the antibody levels were waning and that we would begin to see people get uh, infected again. So uh, they recommended that we uh, boost, that we give a third shot in order to boost. Uh, so particularly those people who were more likely to get serious infection and die. So they started by saying everybody above 65 should get a booster shot. And certainly everybody with underlying conditions, uh, everybody who uh, um, lives in uh, nursing homes, long-term care facilities, because those people are particularly vulnerable living in congregate living circumstances. Uh, all those individuals should get a booster. Now, so we've been busy giving lots of booster shots. And of course now we're getting busy and getting prepared to give uh, youth, shot, shots, youth shots yeah, yeah. to 5 to 11 year olds. Uh, but uh, yeah, lots of booster shots. We had. Uh, is it is it uh, likely that we're going to have boosters annually? Yep, I think so. Okay. I don't think we're going to. I don't think the pandemic will uh, completely disappear. Uh, I think will. Uh, I think uh, the disease will become endemic, if you will. I think we'll go from a pandemic to an endemic disease. I think we'll continue to have this disease. The hope was that we could vaccinate enough people that the uh, the disease would just disappear. I don't think that's going to happen. 
uh, I think a lot of uh, scientists uh, more knowledgeable than I have uh, suggested that it's going to become endemic, which, which means that we'll see disease, probably more disease at certain times of the year than others, probably less disease in the summer when we're outdoors. Uh, it's a respiratory illness. We'll probably see more in the wintertime. And my guess is that we'll get influenza and coronavirus vaccinations in the fall annually because the winter season will encourage disease because we're indoors. Mm. And uh, we'll probably, it, it'll be a little bit like influenza. That's when we're going to see the disease in the winter. So we'll get our booster every fall. Now, I don't know how long, and I, I don't think the CDC knows how long, our booster shot will protect us. We do know this. When you get a booster shot after you are fully vaccinated with either Pfizer, Moderna, or J&J, if you get a booster shot, your antibody levels are really high, sky high. So since the booster shots are fairly new, we don't know how long that immunity will last. But my guess is, even if it lasts, let's say we get our booster shot now, even if it lasts till spring or maybe till June, I don't think the CDC is going to say, well, now that your antibody levels are decreasing again, we're going to boost you again. I think they'll wait till fall. Uh, when uh, even if the, if the vaccine lasts for six months and is effective for six months, that may be enough to protect us through those winter months. And so I think it'll probably be an annual fall-type uh, vaccination. That's my best guess. Now, there's um, a whole new thing happening at least to me, and I've been reading about it, and it's a treatment pill, okay? And it's not just one company, but several that are working on this. And, and so let's say you haven't had any kind of um, vaccine or booster. Um, you can still, and you catch COVID. Um, this is a pill that is supposed to reduce the odds of death or seriousness substantially. Yes, there actually there are two pills. The one I I don't know anything about the uh, Merck pill, which is uh, being used in Great Britain. Uh, but I do know something about the Pfizer pill, which mm -hmm. hasn't been released yet. It's called Paxlovid, P-A-X-L-O-V-I-D. It's a protease inhibitor, which means it inhibits one of the enzymes in the virus. It needs to be started uh, within three days of your symptom onset. In other words, once you get sick, you really should get started on this, day, on this pill within three days. They have two uh, programs that they're I hate to say experimenting, that, that they have trials and a five-day program and a 10-day program. You get the pill twice a day for five days or for 10 days. And uh, Pfizer is uh, researching this. It hasn't been released yet. Uh, they think, uh, since they have had a very small trial, that it reduces the risk of hospitalization or death from uh, COVID about 89%. I mean, it has really a good profile for that's, those people that have gotten it. a great number. 89% is really good. Reduction in risk of hospitalization or death. So uh, I, I think they have trials ongoing. Well, I know they have trials ongoing now. I don't know how far they are away from releasing it, but uh, since the media knows about it, they're probably not too far away, and then they'll have to apply to the FDA for approval. So we... Is this a pill that would be used... For people who have never been vaccinated of, of this or or for those that have been vaccinated or for both? I think for both. Okay. Now, we do have breakthrough infections, even with people who have been vaccinated. Uh, we have some breakthrough infections. Uh, the people who have been vaccinated are highly, highly unlikely to be hospitalized or to die. Uh, it's not fair to say there have been no deaths. Uh, and people have been vaccinated from the COVID. There have been some. Those are rare. Those are people with underlying conditions. Colin Powell immediately comes to mind. He was vaccinated, but he had multiple myeloma, which is bone marrow cancer, which seriously 
mm-hmm. uh, adversely affects your immune system. So Colin Powell had underlying conditions that were very serious. So uh, people have been vaccinated who have serious underlying conditions can still, of course, uh, get the disease, but uh, rarely. And those people really were in the front of the line uh, to get booster shots, that people with underlying conditions really needed to get their booster shots. And we've attended to them pretty much. We had two mass vax clinics for uh, booster shots. And now every day at the health department, we see 40 to 50 people uh, and give them booster shots. So um, the booster shot uh, uh, numbers are uh, increasing pretty rapidly. We're getting people boosted. But yeah, uh, it's uh, it's it's a it's a problem uh, that there are breakthrough infections. That's partly because the virus has changed. Now we're dealing with the Delta variant, which is a little different than the original virus, and the I must say the vaccines are not as effective at mm. totally preventing disease. The Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are about eighty-eight to ninety percent protective against getting disease. It's dropped a little. They were previously 95% effective at preventing disease. Now they're around 88 or 90. They are still very effective at preventing uh, hospitalization and death. And so almost all the deaths and hospitalizations are in people who are unvaccinated. That's really clear. We mentioned uh, earlier in the show that you've been the health commissioner for Athens County for 22 years. In your years, has there ever been anything else more important? No. No. This is a, uh, you know, this is a once every hundred years sort of pandemic. The last pandemic was the great influenza pandemic of 1919-1920. There's a very nice book called The Great Influenza by John Barry. Uh, it's a very well-written book that details uh, that influenza that was a that was an influenza that killed 20 to 30 million people and the we had no vaccine Dave I mean and there were few hospitals Uh, people died on the streets it was a hemorrhagic influenza people bled in their unfortunately in their brains and their hearts and their lungs and they died fast I don't I yeah I'm sorry to interrupt but, but we're getting a little short on time we have four minutes the you know, religious beliefs, okay, but political beliefs, that drives me nuts. I don't understand why politics can get into a position of determining what's good for one's health. Yeah, public health has, has had a hard time with that, too. Uh, it, it's hard to understand why politics should have anything to do with the science of this disease. And uh, I I think for the listeners out there, uh, they need to try to put their politics aside, whatever their beliefs are, and pay attention to the science of this disease. Uh, They need to look at the science. It's all right to be uh, thoughtful and to uh, review all the science. But I think if you do with an open mind, you'll come to the conclusion that the vaccines look very effective and very safe. Uh, We've given millions of doses of these vaccines. And there have only been a couple of things pop up through our VIRS reports. One was the clotting issue that the women have, and the other is something called myocarditis that we've seen in young adolescent men. there has been only one death that I'm aware of. An individual in New Zealand died from the myocarditis. All Everybody else has survived. There have been something like... Uh, uh, the incidence is 2 in 100,000 uh, doses of vaccine, so it's not very common. Uh, there have been like uh, 377 people reported with the myocarditis, so there haven't been uh, a whole lot of people reported. Uh, it's... Uh, fairly rare, uh, easily treatable, very easily treatable. Um, Folks, get the vaccine. Get the vaccine. And and do all the different steps along the way. Let me, in these last two minutes or so, 
Uh, this is an unfair question. You weren't res- expecting this. What else is the health department responsible for? <laughs> well, we're, we're responsible for your food. We do restaurant inspections, and uh, more and more people are going to restaurants now, so we certainly do that. Certainly. Uh, we have a solid waste program where we make sure that your uh, septic systems are working. Right. We license a lot of things, uh, septic systems, uh, restaurants, uh, uh, camps, uh, water well permits, uh, swimming pools, we license them, landfills, we license landfills. Uh, we do school inspections. Um, it's just uh, uh, remarkable how many things that occur. Uh, we have a Cribs for Kids program to provide uh, kids with uh, uh, safe uh, uh, cribs. Uh, uh, we well, we'll get Jack Pepper in to talk about some of these things, but I thought you were the best choice, of course, to talk about COVID and and um, vaccines and all of this sort of thing. Um, well, well, Dave, what, I what have I left out to that you'd like to make sure we cover? Well, I'd just like to make sure that uh, uh, everybody understands that, uh, indeed, the data supports the safety of our vaccines. And we are vaccinating as many people as we possibly can. Here in Athens County, uh, we vaccinated uh, uh, 31,000 people. Uh, the health department's vaccinated 20,000 of those 31,000 people. But there are places other than the health department that you can vac- can get vaccinated. Certainly, uh, you can get vaccinated at uh, Holzer and at Hopewell. And at, uh, Ohio Health has a vaccination clinic. And mm-hmm. the pharmacies often, uh, they almost they all provide vaccinations and we're now going to be vaccinating these young kids uh, from uh, 5 to 11 years and uh, the pharmacies are going to help with that we're going to have two mass vax clinics at the Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine so uh, I encourage you to get your kids vaccinated get yourself vaccinated look at the data and uh, we will end this pandemic the way out of the pandemic is through vaccination we'll do it folks we'll do it Dick, always a pleasure to have you in. Feel free to let me know anytime you want to speak. Enjoy We're it. out of time. Enjoy it, Dave. Okay. In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. WATH This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. There's an ominous sign of a possible COVID surge heading into winter. Cases have jumped 51% in Vermont over the past two weeks. St. Michael's College is blaming an outbreak there on Halloween parties. Senior Cameron Redeker says students are getting more access to COVID tests. That's really important because everyone should be reassured, especially with Thanksgiving coming up and people going home to their families. I think that it's really important to offer testing for everyone. 98% of the campus is vaccinated. Less than a week after the CDC approved many doses of COVID vaccines for children 5 to 11, more than 360,000 kids in that age group have rolled up sleeves. CBS's Nikki Batiste is in New York. The administration is encouraging school districts to use coronavirus relief money to organize vaccine clinics for students, like the one at PS19 in Lower Manhattan. This is exciting and very much anticipated. And we're happy that it's here. Dan Dominich is the executive director of the American Association of School Administrators. He says the sooner more children are vaccinated, the sooner restrictions will ease. The FBI is now helping in the investigation into eight people who died at Travis Scott's Astro World concert last Friday. CBS's Lilia Luciano is in Houston. The Houston chief of police said that he met with Travis Scott before the concert and expressed his safety concerns. Concerns. He also asked them to be mindful of his team's social media messaging. An electric company that got its start just a few years after Thomas Edison invented the light bulb is splitting apart. CBS's Jim Crisula. General Electric will break itself up into three public companies. They will be focused on aviation, healthcare, and energy. The Boston-based company wants to streamline its businesses and cut debt by more than 75 
billion by the end of the year. CBS News has obtained a draft of a new Pentagon report that finds the military has failed to comply with federal law that requires support for survivors of sex assault. Pentagon correspondent Cammy McCormick. Congress has mandated the use of investigators and prosecutors with specific training, but a new inspector general's report finds 64 percent of them don't have that training. 94 percent of Air Force victims were assigned prosecutors not trained to handle them. The military says it doesn't have the resources to handle the growing number of cases. A Vietnam veteran who lost three limbs in the fight and went on to head the VA and serve in the U.S. Senate has died. His family says 79-year-old Georgia Democrat Max McClelland was suffering from congestive heart failure. This is CBS News. Need to hire great candidates? You need Indeed, the all-in-one platform for interviewing, screening, and hiring high-quality people. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. With just one spray of Microband 24, your hard surfaces are sanitized for up to 24 hours. Touch after touch after touch. So six hours from now? Still sanitized. 12 hours? Yep. 18 hours. We're really doing this. 24 hours. When used as directed, one spray of Microband keeps killing 99.9% .9 of bacteria touch after touch for, yeah, up to 24 hours. Wow. Microband 24, the sanitizer four out of five doctors would use in their own homes. So why aren't you? It's not the first sounds of jingle bells that mark the official start of the holidays. It's not even the first signs of snow. The holidays start when you say they do. And that's why our Black Friday savings last for 30 days. So shop early or wait until five minutes before the party. Whether you're a holiday planner or a procrastinator, we've got 30 days of savings for you. Make the holidays yours with Black Friday prices now through December at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Sales of super yachts are booming. After collapsing in the early days of the pandemic, new 